Good morning. I'm Jay Mills. I'm the executive pastor here at um, South Winds Church. Typically, Pastor Mike Nolan would be here. Uh, however, if you weren't aware of this, Pastor Mike is in St. Louis today. He has the privilege of walking his daughter down the aisle and then flipping over to the other side and officiating the wedding of his daughter today. So, very special day for the Nolan family. Keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Pastor Mike will be back with us next week. And the things that I have to share, these are typically the things that he would be sharing with you. And following on the heels of that, little did I know when I entitled this um, sermon to be called Brace for Impact, that we would have national examples and even something here locally at the church that I could use as a preamble that would serve as illustrations of what we're talking about today. Like most of you, we have watched, I have watched the events that have occurred in the Houston vicinity and have been shocked by the devastation that has been levied and leveled in that community and the surrounding vicinity as well. Already over 50 people have died because of Hurricane Harvey and 440,000 People have registered for emergency assistance. And those are the things that you're aware of. The things that you may not be aware of is you are already contributing to help in that area. And what I mean by that is this. Through your generosity, through your giving of your normal tithes and offering, we give on a regular basis, on a monthly basis, an amount to the California Southern Baptist Convention for the cooperative program and its most recognizable arm, disaster relief. Already funds that you have given are being used to help that community. And if you did not see the social media post from Pastor Mike this past week, we are going to do more and give you an opportunity as a church family to do more above and beyond your course of your normal giving of tithes and offerings. If you would like to give sacrificially to that which is occurring as we help restore lives in that vicinity, then you have the opportunity today and next week. We will, during the course of our normal offering, give you an opportunity. You can take the envelope that's inside the programs that you have, and you can write missions on there. If you write missions on there, 100% of the monies that you attribute to missions will go towards that cause. If you're like me and you give online regularly, you can do that as well. Again, this week and next week, if you go online to our website and you go to our giving page and you mark missions, once again, 100% of the money that you give towards mission will go to that relief. And I thank you in advance for what God puts in your heart to do today through that cause. There will be people coming, many more people coming from outside that area. Very few are coming from outside that area now. From what I've been able to learn and discern is that they're waiting for the floodwaters to subside and it's going to take about another 10 to 15 days. But we already have a first responder from the Southwinds family that is there. Manny Trochi uh, is a police officer in the Hayward area, and he is left already to join those efforts. So please pray for the people affected and pray for those that are there and that will be going to do ministry in that aspect as well too, Manny and many, many others. Also, I want you to know as Christ followers, you know, we brace ourselves so that we can be impactful in the community in which God has called us to live. All of us have a reason, and they're all here for a season. We just don't know how long that season will be. Well, Pastor Scott Bolton has been here for a decade and has admirably contributed and impacted not just teenagers, but many adults while he and his wife Jennifer have been here. But God has called to a, him to a new season and a new position 
in a new location to minister. And that position is going to be as senior pastor of White Oak Baptist Church, and that is in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina. Now, this is a wonderful news for Scott and Jennifer's family. If you know them, you'll know that their adult children are in the southeast of the United States. Also, Raleigh-Durham just happens to be two to three hours away from both Scott's family and from Jennifer's family as well. Professionally, I do know this. In 30 years of coaching, if you have a healthy program, what tends to happen is people are promoted. The assistants become coordinators. Coordinators become head coaches and so forth. And so Scott has obviously been recognized for his talents and abilities, and God is saying this is for the time that he needs to be there. It also is a great reflection on Pastor Mike and a reflection on the entire Southwinds family when we see promotion occur in that aspect. And we wish him well. We're thankful for what he has done in the lives of so many people. And we're excited about what he's going to do in the future, God through Scott and Jennifer in that region. Please take a moment when you have uh, over the next two weeks. He'll be here through Sunday, September 17th. And let Scott and Jennifer know how much you appreciate them and all that they've done while here at South, South Winds Church. I, um, I was born, like John Mellencamp would say, and sing, I was born in a small town. Until I was a teenager in high school, the largest community I lived in was slightly over 900 people. No, Andy and Barney were not the deputy and the sheriff there, in case you're wondering, but Aunt B's pie was outstanding. But, but it was such a small place, there was no traffic light, and there literally was no crime. I mean, it was a safe place to live. My folks never locked the doors, and they left the keys in the ignition of the car overnight. Every night we lived there. I felt safe walking around the community. I'd walk down to the post office on an errand for my mom. I might walk down to uh, the market. I walked to get a haircut. I walked to school. And on one occasion, I walked down to our local dentist and saw Dr. So. This would be the first and last time I would walk down to see Dr. So. Now, up until that point in time, my folks would drive me an hour and a half distance to Des Moines so that I could see this children's dentist that I had seen, and he was wonderful. But on this case, for whatever reason, my parents couldn't do uh, take me on the drive, so they ended up um, having me walk down the street. So I walked down a few blocks, went to Dr. So's office, a little bit apprehensive, and it did not start well. As I reclined in the chair and opened my mouth, Dr. So, let me tell you, he's a crusty man. He was well past retirement age and still the lone dentist that operated in this rural Iowa community. And as I looked up with my mouth open, there was a snag hanging from his nostril that just, I mean, I pray to God that, you know, that it would not drop while I was in that chair. And it didn't get any better from there. He does the examination, and then he says, well, you got a cavity, and I'm going to have to give you a shot and drill it and fill it. Well, you got to understand, up until that point in time, I'd had seven teeth extracted. I'd had a bicycle accident, so I had a gash in my tongue, chipped tooth, and I had cavities before and had drilled and filled, but I never realized I was getting a shot. My children's dentist never let me see the needle. It was genius on his part. He called it balloon juice. And I lied there in the chair as a young boy and said, don't you have any balloon juice you can give me? And Dr. So had no idea what balloon juice was and did not have that. And uh, so, you know, 
it was genius on his part, and part of the reason why I've never been concerned about going to a dentist is because the first experience I had was so positive. But when Dr. So showed me the size of that needle, <laughs> that sucker looked like you could harpoon a whale with it. I mean, it was huge, you know. I was about that big probably, you know, at the time. And uh, so there was no way in the world I wanted that stuck into my gums. And so he drilled and filled my tooth with no Novocaine. And um, what I had not realized at that time, all the previous times, is that my favorite dentist was there to block the pain. He intervened on my behalf. On that day, I fully realized the pain of his absence from that equation. And it taught me something. It was a teachable moment that I took forward in life. It taught me two things. Number one, there's fundamental lessons in which we live in life. And one of them is whenever I am in a scenario and there is delicate, sensitive, uh, painful information that needs to be shared on someone that I might be friends with or somebody that I may be um, in a management position of, as much as it is up to me, I try to give them the injection without letting them feel the needle. That is a biblical principle. Ephesians 4.15 says we should speak the truth in love. Secondly is this. We need people in our lives from time to time to intervene to help lessen the hurt. And we need to accept that role as well. When we see something that could hurt somebody, we need to step forward and take a stand. James 4.17 says anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. We need to not just lie there like a patient in a dental chair. We need to do something to help those in need. That incident and the following verse changed my life. In Genesis, we read, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, I don't know why. I never realized it for many years, but for some reason, I always thought Adam was out in the garden. I had no earthly idea that he was standing beside her in the garden. He could have done something about it, but he didn't. He was standing next to her, but he took it lying down. And when we think of original sin or the fall of man, all fingers always point to Eve, but Adam was equally, equally complicit. He was standing right next to her and failed to act. And since that time, we've been paying for that mistake ever since. It literally was within his reach, within his grasp. And all of us, men in particular I'm speaking with at this moment, here has been our natural inclination ever since that moment, is we are passive when we should be doing something, we should be taking a stand, we don't. We sit idly by. When presented with these defining moments, you know, if you're like me, I can look back at some of them in the past and realize that I have rationalized my reason for not acting to make it sound good to me. I can look at those defining moments now and know that had I acted, had I done something differently, I could have made a difference. And I tell you this morning, not to preach to you, not to lecture to you, not to talk down to you, and certainly not to dismiss 
and laugh off my errors of omission, but to tell you that God puts a conviction in my heart whenever I speak, and it always is inward before it's outward. And I know that I have failed in the past, but I'm committed to not doing so in the future. And he's given me a word to share with you today. And as best as I can understand it, from the bottom of my heart, the Holy Spirit is saying this, and I want to tell you this. I'm to tell you this, not passively. I'm to tell you this. We need to stop lying down on the job. We need to take a stand. God has placed individuals in our lives, some of them you're sitting right next to, others you'll be standing alongside, that you have an opportunity to intervene, to do something that can be difference-making, that can be impactful. And if we don't, the results can be devastating. In short, don't be an atom. Fundamentals are important in life, and you know we've always heard, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, and that's true, but it's also equally important of what we stand for. It must be the correct thing. It must be the right thing. Fundamental, it's fundamental to our existence. Professionally, there are fundamentals. I don't know what necessarily occupation you're involved in, but I guarantee you there's things basic to your way of performing at work that has to be done a certain way or the results will not be successful. I mean, when I trained to be an accountant and did my schooling, I learned very quickly that debits must equal credits. I learned that if you did a balance sheet, it needed to balance, that assets had to equal liabilities plus equity. And evidently, there are also fundamentals in biology because every once in a while, somebody will share you know, the physiology involved in the reproductive system with me. Sounds odd, but let me just share how it occurs. So I'll be in a conversation with somebody maybe I've known for a while, maybe I haven't. And as you have been in these conversations, you might ask, well, tell me about your family. And this person will say, hey, how many children do you have, Pastor Jay? And I'll say, well, we have six. My wife and I always say six. And if you don't know our family dynamics, the person will sometimes say, well, you do know how that happens, don't you? Six kids. And I'll say, well, yes, I do, but it's not my fault. My wife can't keep her hands off of me. <laughs> so I'll tell her, tell them that, hey, listen, I try to tell her, you know, that, uh, you know, tone it down. So you'll stop pawing and grabbing at me. You know, it's just not right. You know, I just, I want to get some sleep. You know, sometimes a man just wants to cuddle, okay? And uh, <laughs> said no man ever, but I try to, you know. <laughs> I try to tone it down, you know, I can't help it. Evidently to her, I'm reeking with testosterone, animal magnetism, sexual appeal, and, uh, you know, I'm working on that right now. So, <laughs> pardon me for laughing at my own joke, but it's the first time I heard it. But, um, um, so, there's fundamentals in the sustenance of our life, and they are light, oxygen, water, and food. In 2012, Russian police discovered 57 people, members of a cult, that were living underground in a bunker. Many of the children had never seen the sun. And while it's unlikely, it is still possible to die from a lack of exposure to light. And here's how the progression would occur. First of all, the absence of sunlight could prevent your body from producing vitamin D. Without vitamin D, now what occurs is you would inhibit calcium absorption. Without calcium absorption, that would lead to um, spasms in your larynx and that would lead to suffocation. And while it is unlikely that death would occur from sunlight deprivation, it does lead to a number, number of harmful side effects. Increased susceptibility in a wide range of chronic diseases, for instance, such as diabetes and high blood pressure. 
as well as infectious diseases as is tuberculosis and also the common cold. We can exist without light, but the quality of our life would certainly suffer. Such isn't the case with oxygen, water, and food. We can last about 5 to 10 minutes without oxygen, about 8 to 10 days without water, and about 3 weeks without food. It's vital to our life. Metaphorically, I use this when I discuss things in our inward, internal church operations. As Warren Boleyn says, rely on the source, not the resources. And we do. We do everything in the natural and trust God for the supernatural. But at the same point in time, we need to have best business practices that we can apply in a practical manner so that we are systematically utilizing good stewardship with the funds that which we've been entrusted so when we talk in our church staff, we'll say if something's oxygen, we say that we've got to do it. It's, it's vital to a church. We can't exist without it. Worship is a great example of that. It's kind of hard to have a church if you don't have worship service. If we say something is water, then we say this. Out of all the optional alternatives, this is what we rank highly. This has a higher priority. And an example of that might be Awana. The Awana program is outstanding, but technically you don't have to have an Awana program to have a church, but we in our church strategy and the leadership of our church believe that it is very, very important, and that's why we put such an emphasis on it. Finally, if we say that something is food, then what we're saying is, before we even entertain the idea of of doing that ministry, we need to have the bandwidth. We need to have something on the church staff, or we need to have volunteers to be able to help in that area. Otherwise, we don't even try it. There's a lot of great ministries out there, but we have a finite amount of resources in order to conduct them. And while our resources may be finite, isn't it great to know that the grace of Jesus Christ is not? It is overflowing, and it's not a coincidence, I know this, that he is described in the book of John using the same four basic elements that are important for the manifestation of life as we know it on this planet. The book of John says that he is our light, our oxygen, our water, and our food. He is our light. We read in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is our oxygen. Then he took a deep breath and breathed into them, received the Holy Spirit. He is our water. Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And finally, he is our food. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Water, light, oxygen, and food. Let me ask you this. It's an odd question, but it relates to where I'm going. How many in here have attempted at one time or another in your life to stand on a surfboard? All right, quite a few. I would expect that in California. Well, here's the reason why it's difficult. Because when you try to stand on something, what you're not looking for is buoyancy. You're looking for something that's solid. Well, Jesus Christ is our light, is our breath, is our water, is our bread, and is the rock upon which we stand. Jesus Christ promises an abundant life for those who are Christ followers in this lifetime and an eternal life for those who stand and profess him as our Lord and Savior. His words cannot be mistaken. When he says this, he says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Fundamentals give us a base from which we can operate. Once we know what we stand on, 
then we need to get in position so that we can move. Now, yesterday was the beginning of college football season. You know there was no chance of me not mentioning that from the pulpit today because I'm such a big college football fan. So I got there prepared. I had my recliner. I had my big gulp. I had my junk food. I swear, and not to be off, off color, but I'd, I'd insert a catheter if I had to to stay all day long <laughs> and watch college football. I do not want to be distracted from my quest there. But what I want you to know is what you probably don't realize is how important the basic fundamentals are in the game of football. Now, whether you win or lose, there's a lot of reasons. Some might say, well, turnovers are important. That's true. Some might say it's the schemes, offensively, defensively, and special teams. But I want to tell you the number one difference between winning and losing is how you stand, how they stand. It's called a football position. Football position looks like this. Okay, my feet are slightly more than shoulder width apart. They give me a balance. They give me a base. All my cleats are in the ground. I'm going to bend my lower torso so there's a Z in my knee, and I have my hamstrings parallel to the ground. That gives me an explosiveness, a power that I can generate. Power is mass times velocity, and I can explode through an object. I'm going to deliver that force through my back. Pay no attention to the man over here. Right here. Right here. We'll get to him later. Okay. So my back is flat and erect so it can channel that energy through an object that I'm going to strike. My neck is bowed for protection and keeps my eyes up so I can see what I'm going to deliver that contact and how I'm going to initiate that force. If I'm doing it correctly, my weight should be slightly forward. There should be a plane that you could drive through my shoulders, my chest, my knees, the balls of my feet. Then I'm doing it correctly. In the game of football, it's used for everything that you do. Pastor Chris Martinez is going to be a demonstrator in this. The key thing is, I'm going to provide the demonstration. The key thing for him is to make me look good. Uh, so <laughs> what I'm going to tell you is that in the game of football, everything you do is done just from that fundamental stance that I just showed you. If I'm pass protecting, if I'm Bubba Paris, there's a name from the past, and I'm protecting for Joe Montana, I'm going to get in this position. As he comes forward, comes to me, I'm going to snap my hands and strike a blow. I'm going to my hands above my eyes. I'm going to sit back on my heels heels, but I'm going to be in that football position. If I'm drive blocking for the beast this fall, if I'm on the offensive line for the Oakland Raiders right here, I'm going to have my hands in here, thumbs up underneath his breastplate. I'm going to have my weight in my football position right here, and I'm going to work with short choppy steps and work to lock out and leverage the position of where I want the ball carrier to go. If I am going to, if he's the ball carrier, I'm going to tackle him. I'm going to come up. I'm going to break down a football position. I'm going to hit, wrap, and I'm going to bring him back and roll my hips. <laughs> football position. If he's going to tackle me, try to tackle me. If he's going to tackle me, if he's going to tackle me, I'm going to come up. I'm going to break down the football position so I can redirect my momentum and go elsewhere. It's all in. Thank you. Pastor Chris Martinez, folks. The reason I wanted to give you, him, you to give him applause is I got to catch my wind. Uh, so I'm in pathetic shape. I'll just tell you that right now. I used to do that all the time. So, but that's the fundamental position. And listen, let me tell you, the reason why I'm out of shape, the reason why I'm, I'm catching my wind is because it's not easy. It takes training. I'd spend the off season all the time working with young men to get them in the position, in the position in the position so that they could, they could explode and move forward. Sometimes you got to get in that position when you least expect it, such as on our honeymoon. I told you I'd tell you a honeymoon story. So Kim and I went on a cruise. Kim had been on a cruise before. I had not been on a cruise. So I was a little concerned that I might get sick. So I called my athletic trainer. He got in touch with one of our team doctors and with a short period of time came back with these patches. 
They look like round band-aids. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And what he told me is what you have to do is you have to put it behind your ear before the ship leaves port. If you wait till after you're out at sea and then all of a sudden you feel nauseous, they're worthless. They won't help you at all. So I did as he instructed. I put it behind the ear and for the first 24 hours, everything went great. No problems at all. I go out the next day. Kim and I go back to the cabin to do a daily devotional. And let me tell you this. When I, when I told this story to the pastor team and I said, we went back to do a daily devotional, one of the pastors said, oh, is that what you call it, Jay? Having a devotional. <laughs> yeah, okay. And I said, yes, I was having a devotional, I swear. So there's no need for the use of air quotations with what I'm telling you. And I won't tell you which pastor that thought that absurd comment and had the gall and audacity to say it, but his last name uh, rhymes with uh, Selin. Uh, anyway... <laughs> So I stand up and I'm lightheaded. And so, and as opposed to what you may think, I'm not normally lightheaded when I stand up. But I stood up, I'm lightheaded. So we did what most of you do is we started to self-diagnose. And here's what we came up with, Kim and I. We said, you know what? One patch behind the ear, maybe that's throwing your equilibrium off. And so what you really need is to put another patch behind the other ear Exactly the appropriate place for laughter. Yes. So that was, and then maybe that will balance things out. Seemed logical to me at the moment, but as you might have guessed, within a few moments, I'm walking like I'm totally inebriated. I mean, I can't hardly stand on my feet. So Kim says, well, we need to stay in tonight. And I said, no, we're not going to stay in tonight. I want to take you to dinner because it was lobster night. Kim had never had lobster before. So as I was undeterred from my call, and I want to tell you this, this is the truth, I was unable to finish one intelligent sentence. I'd start them and I couldn't finish them. But I put my arm around her, not to support her, but so she could support me to get up there and have the dinner. We made it up, we made it back. By the way, I took the patches off, so, uh, and uh, the next day we were fine. I was fine, and uh, we moved forward from there. But since then, I've often joked with Kim, you know, we sign a covenant as pastors that we will abstain from alcohol by being on the staff here, but nobody said anything about anti-motion sickness patches. So if we have a tough day, I said, you know, we could always pull out one of those Band-Aid things, you know, but <laughs> anyway, we wouldn't do that too. But, um, but sometimes we learn what to do, and sometimes we learn what not to do. The coaching points, the things that I could glean from this lesson that I share with you today is this. We didn't just stand there. We did something. It wasn't an application of good logic, but we weren't passive either. You know, when we get to the end of our lives, few people, more people are going to look back and regret the things they did not do rather than the things that they did. We need to reject passivity and we need to take a stand. And it might surprise you. What you do, what you try might work. Give yourself permission to fail. If it doesn't work, you can always take the patches off. Second thing that we learned is that there's a difference between leaning and standing. You know, when I lean, I'm putting all my weight on top of Kim. And, you know, it is okay to lean on people in our lives. There are seasons in our lives when we need other people. And Galatians 6.2 says that. It says we should carry the burdens of others. But something would be wrong if I used and continued to use Kim as a crutch. God made us to eventually stand strong and support others in their season of difficulty. And that's why we have things like our care groups on Wednesday night. Our care groups are there for people in the season of difficulty, whatever challenge of life that you might be going through. And you know what? Most of the people that are facilitating these groups, they have been in the same position 
of those that are attending, they just know how important it is, and they are paying it forward, paying it forward just as we are as well and need to be. We are to stand. We are not to lean. We brace for impact in other ways. Sometimes it comes very expectedly, and sometimes we are blindsided. We never saw that thing coming. The picture that you'll see next is a picture of Kim from just a couple weeks ago. One of the things on her bucket list was a hot air balloon ride. So I surprised her with that. We showed up for that. And we listened to the pilot as he gave a little bit of instruction. He said, the flight's going to go fine. He said, the landing sometimes can be a little suspect. He said, you know, because the balloon takes you where the balloon wants to take you. When you land, if you don't have a, you know, a flat surface, you could tip over the basket there. It's a small basket, but there's about eight guys in there, about four guys and four gals. And what he explained was, here's what we'll do. We'll have the guys on one side, and they will brace for impact. And we'll have the gals on the other side, and they will brace for impact. But if the gals can't hold on when it tips over, the gals will fall onto the guys, and that will cushion their fall. So that's what they did. But they landed safely, safely. They landed fine and flat. But what he failed to mention to him is that when your basket's upright and the balloon's upright, when the balloon starts to deflate, guess what can happen to the basket? Takes it with it. So without any warning and all eight of them, unbeknownst to them and believing that they had arrived safe, safely, all of a sudden he says, here we go. <laughs> well, they weren't in position. Luckily, they did have the guys on the right side, so the gals did fall into them and everybody was fine. But they were braced at one point for what they expected, but they weren't braced for what we, they didn't expect. Now, what we don't brace for at times is the blunt trauma that comes about with tests that we go through and, and um, temptations that occur in life. We understand that those are going to happen, but even then, even when we brace for impact, we're not just to stand there. James 4, 7 states, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen anybody resist anything like this. It's not a stationary function. You resist something actively. You know, if you're a boxer, I like fights. I like the fights. And uh, one of my favorite movies, probably you guys too, is you like the Rocky movies? Anybody like the Rocky movies? Well, Rocky II, I love the line from Rocky II where Apollo Creed, the heavyweight champion, says um, to his trainer, why don't you want me to fight him again in the rematch? And the trainer says this. He says, I saw you beat a man like I've never seen a man been beat before and the man kept coming after you. We don't need a man like that in our lives. Well, let me contend this with you. We need a man like that in our lives we need women like that in our lives, and we need to be those men and those women for those people that are in those seasons. We need to help them not just stand up when they're boxed in the corner. We need to help them fight and punch their way out of the corner. A good defense, a coach knows, is a great offense. That's how you get it done. There's more rounds to fight. It's not over. We keep fighting. We keep moving forward, and we deliver out of the stance. We deliver a blow. We strike a blow. We were meant to un uncoil. We can't stand in this position for long. I mean, I thought about having you guys do that and just see what it feels like. I think I'll do that at 11 o'clock, okay? So if you want to come back and do that. But after a while, you know what happens? You wear down. And you would eventually collapse and fall. You're in the stance ready to explode with power out of your stance and deliver with force. And you do that when we assume our purpose. 
when we assume our purpose is when it happens. You know, there's a difference between a bodybuilder and a power lifter. One exerts power and strength. The other one just poses. It's all for show. They both train with weights, and uh, one is passive, the other is not. Let me give you an example. All right, so visualize, if you would, imagine there's a barbell here, it's stretched across, and there's weights on each end. There's 500 pounds here. I was going to do this for real, but I just didn't know if this stage could, you know, hold it. So, so just trust me in that. Did my nose grow or not? I don't know. But so this is what I've seen many guys do. This is a power clean. Many people in here have done a power clean. So here I go. I'm going to grab the bar. Okay. Does this look familiar, by the way? This position look familiar? All right. So I grab the bar. I got my legs ready to go. And what I'm going to do in one movement, I'm going to pull up with my arms. I'm going to thrust up with the power of my legs, flip my wrist over and catch the barbell right here, slightly above my chest. It's not over. We got to finish. So now I'm going to use the energy that I have to straighten up for one last move. One last exertion of strength. I want to thrust it in one movement above my head, and then I got to hold it for three seconds. And then my favorite part is this. I've seen thousands of guys do this in testing. We tested them all the time in the clean. You can drop it. They love to drop it and see it bounce on the rubber plates that they have. And then the guys that are watching them, we always had other members of the team right there. They'd be yelling and screaming, chest butting and so forth because the power that they exerted what they had done and how they had overcome the obstacle that was literally in their way. Here's the bodybuilder. <laughs> now, first of all, I forgot about that. I, thank God Kim's not in here because that could have triggered something that would have just been just... <laughs> just so, you know, I, I re and I don't get it because I know I don't have big biceps. I mean, my guys at Harvard would get the block H tattooed on their bicep and they, coach, why don't you get the H tagged on, on yours too? And I said, I can't because my bicep's so small, it would look like two vertical stripes with one horizontal stripe. I'd have to go like that for you guys to see it's an H. So, so we weren't designed to pose we were designed to explode. We were designed to be powerful. They train with weights. We train with the word of God. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. That's not a stationary position. That's not a pose. That's action. Do what it says. If we don't put it into action, if we don't exert its power, we are just posers. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so is the word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It has a purpose. It's powerful. Don't flinch like I did in the dental chair. Don't flex for no purpose at all. Exert the power of the gospel in your lives so others can see it, so others can figuratively chest bump you. And be affected by the energy that you now possess. It's here for a purpose. And here's our purpose. Paul says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do it all for the glory of God. All of it. As Christ followers John Piper says. Our purpose is not open to debate. The Bible is crystal clear. God created us for his glory. 
It's a purpose for which we must take a stand. We all wear a lot of hats. Personally, mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, grandparents, you name it. And professionally, there is varied our responsibilities at the many occupations that we have. But there's something common, there's something a function to our core that we all share as Christ followers. And that's we have a purpose and we have a calling. Our purpose is our mission. And our calling undergirds that mission. In Philippians 2.13 it says, It is God who works in you to will and to act. Everybody say to act. To act according to his good purpose. There's a purpose and there's an action we must take. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, every believer has a holy calling. You have a purpose. You have a calling in everything that you do in life. And guess what? He does the heavy lifting. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, the one who calls you will do it. He will do it. Oswald Chambers once said, a person realizes they're calling from God with a thunder, sudden thunderclap or with a gradual dawning, but in whatever way it comes, it comes with an undercurrent of the supernatural, something that cannot be put into words. Our calling is twofold. So all of us, everybody say all of us. All, all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. That's us as Christ followers. The veil has been removed. We get it. We can see it. There's no excuse. We know what we're to do. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. We are to emulate Christ, not imitate. Imitators mimic. They may be a cheap knockoff or they may be a near flawless reproduction, but they're still not the original. We are to literally transform into the likeness of Jesus Christ with every breath that we take while we're on this earth. We won't get there while we're on this earth. We will get there when we take that last breath. But until then, we are to move skyward. We are to move upward in everything that we do. Not only are we to move upward, we are to drive forward as well with power. We are not to arrive to our destination alone. We are to take people with us. There are many different type of leadership models, laissez-faire and micromanager and servant leader and so forth. Some are more applicable in some situations than others, but I think there's one that is applicable in every scenario, and that is the leadership model of a coach. Doesn't surprise you that I say that, but listen to what Kevin Hall said. He provided a definition of, his, of a coach in his book titled, Inspire. A coach remains something or someone that takes a valued person from where they are to where they want to be. Whether it be by air, land, or sea, figuratively, literally, a coach and a Christ follower does the same thing. We are to take people with us. We are in the transportation business. The coach assists the valuable person. You know who the valuable person is? It says, Scripture, Christ died for all. That's everybody. We are to take them with us to transport them from their point of origin to their destination, their heavenly home. Finally, brothers and sisters, as Paul said, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We are to explode into our purpose by answering our calling. And maybe you've braced yourself before. Maybe you've gotten in position before and you've been knocked on your keister. 
That happens. You know what? I've seen a lot of great athletes get knocked down. But here's what I've also never seen. I've never seen one of them stay down. They do brush themselves off. They do pick themselves up. And we don't even have to do that ourselves. It says in the Word of God that He will do it for us. He will help us up. Look what Mark says in 927. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Christ is there to help you stand up no matter what may be happening. You're here because there's more rounds left in the fight. You maybe you feel isolated, you feel alone, and if so, you're in good company. Mark records this, then all his disciples, everybody say all his disciples, all his disciples, all of them deserted him and ran away. And we have too. We have done the same exact thing at some time in our lives, but we have a choice on how we live today and what we do tomorrow. One young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. That's how much he wanted to get away from our Savior and Redeemer. Jesus knows what it's like to be isolated, to be alone, to stand alone. And if we are in that position, we've just emulated Jesus Christ. One thing I do know, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. It's not my words. Those are the words of Christ. No more lying down. No more leaning. No more passivity. There's too much at stake. It's time for us to get in position to stand up, to stand out, and if need be, to stand alone. It's truly fundamental. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that exerts. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that we have to live by faith, not by sight. We're reminded in your word that when we're weak, you are strong. And may we never rely on our own strength. Your word also says this, that whatever is done is either done by faith or is done in sin. There's no black and white area. Or it is, a black and, it is a black and white issue. There's no gray area. Father, give us the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit that you have promised when we act on it, when we put it into play. May we not only get in the stance to support, may we explode into our purpose and our calling today and each and every day that you give us. And may we become more and more the Son, Jesus Christ, that you sacrificed for us And we thank you for that gift. And if there's one here that has not made that profession of faith, that has not surrendered their life, and has not had instilled in them the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray, Father, that they would make that decision today, that they would not delay. Father, I thank you for the men and women that are here. It's not by chance you've brought us here to worship you. You've given us positions, people within our eyesight to stand next to, to intervene, to lessen the hurt, to be impactful. You've given us resources such as time, talents, and you've given us treasures that we humbly lay at your feet today as the offering is collected. Father, we pray a blessing upon that. It would do ministry throughout the church, throughout Tracy, the region of Mountain House, Lathrop, our nation and beyond. We pray for those that are suffering right now in the Houston area and beyond. 
We pray for those like Manny that are already there lending a helpful hand, that are standing the gap. Watch over them, protect them. May your name be magnified in the midst of tragedy. And may we meet those that are affected by our love as we give to that cause someday in eternity. Father, bless those that give. Bless the church. Bless the ministry. Bless Pastor Scott and Jennifer as they move forward to honor you. Same vocation, different location. We love you. And we love the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.